Thanks for tuning in to Tax Strategy Digest, where we explore the fascinating world of finance. Join us as we dive into the stories, insights, and experiences of experts, thought leaders, and everyday people who are making a difference in this field. Through engaging conversations and thought-provoking discussions, we'll take a deep dive into the latest research, trends, and innovations shaping finance. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn something new on this journey here with us. Welcome to this episode of Tax Strategy Digest. Today, our guest is Aviva Sonnenreich. Aviva is a Denver native and is the managing broker of the Warehouse Hotline, where she employs social media as a platform, engaging with over 1.2 million followers on TikTok and Instagram via the handle at Aviva Real Estate. She generously shares her insights on one of the industry's fastest growing sectors, as a result, Aviva secured a position in the Forbes Real Estate Council, along with recently being crowned CREI's foremost Instagram influencer in commercial real estate. On top of all that, she recently debuted her own podcast, Commercial Real Estate Secrets. In this show, she explores the intricacies of commercial real estate catering to both newcomers and those seeking a fresh perspective. Aviva, thanks so much for joining me on this episode today. It's going to be a fun one. Thank you for having me, Paul. I'm excited to be here. Well, perfect. Why don't we get started for people listening in? They they don't know who you are. Tell us a little bit about you and your story. Yeah. So uh, I'm a Denver native and I, I did grow up in a real estate family, which I understand is a story that's been told before. Um, but what I have really focused on is leveraging my privilege of listening to my family talk about real estate at the dinner table every single day, uh, deploying it onto the internet to teach other people who didn't get that dinner table talk that I was fortunate enough to have to A, learn commercial real estate, B, understand, you know, a lot of people don't even know what commercial real estate is, and then C, uh, create their own future in commercial real estate. Um, I started, uh, and there's a, a point to this story. I was a DJ between the ages of 18 to 28. I'm 31 now. And, um, I started to learn marketing and social media marketing as a DJ. Um, the thing is when you're a low level DJ is that there is a high supply of low-level DJ content on the internet. So high supply, which means low demand. And in years and years of posting and nobody caring, I learned how to post content on social media that eventually made people care. So when I realized um, I had spent a decade posting on social media and that I could deploy it into my day job, commercial real estate, which has a low supply of content online and actually a high demand, uh, I was able to reach people and find success in providing value to others. So that's been my social media journey for the last four or five years. And it's brought me to people like you and, uh, and your listeners, because there that's how we all connect. Exactly. Well, um, obviously anybody who has even checked out your pages, listened to any of your content, they know that you are a huge advocate for 
um, warehousing and the industrial real estate sector. So why is it that industrial real estate right now is such a, um, a such a good investment? Sure. So when I started in industrial real estate like 10 years ago, um, we would go to these industrial real estate conferences and there would be like, the room would be like 20% full. And it was like, it was like the butt end of real estate. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't cool. Uh, Hue e-commerce. And 10 years later, now you go to these same real estate conferences, industrial real estate conferences, and the rooms are packed with people in Armani suits. So in a very short period of time, industrial real estate went from being the butt end of the real estate business to the bell of the ball. Uh, my family started in warehousing in the 80s when they when my grandpa just had the foresight that there was something, uh, essentially warehouses could be used for anything. Um, and it was a lower pr price point specifically for the tenants. So uh, even if the economy was hurt, people still needed places to put their building materials, um, storage, logistics, et cetera. So, excuse me, I got an itch. Um, my, you know, I didn't, I didn't come up with it. Uh, my grandfather started the playbook in our family. My dad took it to the next level and I just love the family business. So, uh, we have just doubled, tripled down on warehouses and e-commerce really, um, we really caught the wind of that. Another thing, we live in Denver. Denver was the first, well, Colorado is the first city to legalize cannabis. Colorado is the first state to legalize cannabis in the United States. And so overnight, 25% of warehouse space was absorbed by a completely new industry. And that was before e-commerce. So we've just been in the driver's seat of this massive wave of change in the industrial real estate space. And uh, we love it. And it's, it's fascinating. And one thing I'll say about industrial real estate that continues to shock me every day are the new uses. I placed a tenant maybe six months ago in 7,500 square feet. That's a big space. And she sells individual Legos online. So she must have millions of Legos in this wow. place. Yeah. So the uses that we are seeing, you know, it's gen it's general uses, construction, the trades, logistics, shipping, e-commerce. And then it's these new emerging uses that you could not make up and are literally infinite. So have you have you walked through the Lego warehouse yet? Yes. How was it? Okay. There's like 3000 square feet of office in this space. Okay. And she has it lined with mini drawers. Like I'm talking like one inch by one inch drawers. Thousands and thousands and thousands. It's, it's very well labeled and organized. So the whole office is just ceiling to wall drawers. And then the warehouse she gets pallets of junk and toys and crap 
and they pretty much get it for free, sift through it, take out the Legos, organize them, store them and sell them. Wow. So it's wild. It's a big space. You would not believe it. That is, that is really cool. And then with some of the e-commerce stuff that, that you're seeing, is it mostly people who are doing like, for example, like drop shipping, or is it people who are maybe using different things like Amazon? And these are Amazon warehouses that you're actually helping with. Okay. So the Amazon warehouses are the Goliath warehouse. Sure. Um, 10 years ago, you never saw a warehouse over 500,000 square feet. Today, you'll see a million square foot warehouses, and those are the Amazon warehouses. And those are a class of warehouses called A-class warehousing. Uh, it's the fanciest, it's the, the sickest, I call them big sexies because they're just the nicest, biggest warehouses. We deal in the smaller warehouses, Techni the technical term for the class of warehouse we deal in, it's called C-class warehouses. There's no D or F class. <laughs> so we deal with like the ugliest warehouses, but the thing is, is they're building a lot of these A-class warehouses. They're not building the C-class warehouses. And so inventory has very much been in on our side. Um, there's a lot more A-class vacancy right now. And C-class is virtually sold out in America for 2024. So it's a really interesting time to peddle ugly warehouses. And is that like nationwide that warehouses are really booming or is it really just where you're located? Because I know you mentioned also cannabis started to be, of course, first legalized there. So that surely didn't hurt the market for the warehousing. And then um, e-commerce, I feel like might be spread out around the, around the country. This is an inventory issue that we see in Denver. We're seeing it everywhere else in the States. The country was never ready for, you know, just like how cannabis affected the Denver warehouse market, e-commerce affected other markets in the same way uh, nationwide. So essentially back to supply and demand. There was a specific supply of warehouses E you know, QE commerce demand increases. They're just not building these C class warehouses anymore because it's, I could bore you to death about this. It's called, you know, it's too expensive to build them right now. It's cheaper to buy them. And so all they're building are the big ones. And as a result, it's a supply and demand issue that's in the favor of them ugly warehouses. Are you finding that a lot of people are, purchasing warehouses right now or trying to purchase warehouses because they also see this supply and demand shortage? hundred percent. Well, okay. Here's another thing. Picture a four unit apartment building. Okay. So you got four disposals, four washing machines, four ovens, four, right? We're picturing right. a, an apartment. Now picture a four-unit warehouse. It's got a bathroom. It's got a garage door. That's about, and, and a heater. There is so much less that can go wrong in a warehouse unit 
And the industry standard in leasing warehouse space is that the tenant is responsible for all repairs and maintenance within the unit. So the secret has kind of gotten out to investors where it's like, why would I buy a, that four unit multifamily complex if I'm on the hook, if the toilet's running, if right. the disposal breaks, I get a call and I have to pay for it. Or I could buy this four unit warehouse where the, the tenant knows if the toilet's running, they get to fix it. And so you don't get the calls. You don't get, you know, the um, first off, you're not getting the calls. And second off, you're not paying for the repairs. So the secret came out about industrial real estate. You know, I would also say in the last 10 years that it's an easier product type to manage. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah. So it, it's just simpler. It's a lot more business oriented, right? Um, when something in your four unit apartment complex breaks, it's going to be in off hours because that's when people are in their apartment, yeah. holidays, nights, weekends. When things break in a warehouse, it's business hours. It's not the roof over your family's head. It's a lot less emotional. It's a business transaction. And so that secret got out and I get calls um, all the time. People want off-market multi-tenant industrial. And it's right. like, oh, like the secret's out, my friend. You know, I can't <laughs> say that to people, but that's the reality is yeah. I get this. If I had a dollar for everybody who called me for off-market multi-tenant industrial, I could buy an off-market multi-tenant industrial property. <laughs> so uh, the secret is out. And that's why there are more and more investors swarming. And Definitely. I mean, look at something like office space. Nobody wants to buy off. You can't even get a loan on an office building right now. Right. So. I mean, you talk about some of these secrets in, and I know that you share these types of secrets in your podcast. Tell us a little bit about your podcast as well. Yeah. Great segue. Thanks. I really tried. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a podcast called commercial real estate secrets and I am passionate about sharing the secrets of commercial real estate with the world. Uh, up until the advent of the internet, the commercial real estate industry was very gatekept where everybody learned from their fathers and their father's fathers, much like how I learned. And the internet opened the gates of information for the general public to be successful in commercial real estate. And so I like to share those secrets in hopes that even if I can change one person's life and get them started in the biz, uh, it will all be for good. I love it. I love it. And I know social media has kind of been a big thing for you. I mentioned it a little earlier. Um, you grew to over 1.2 million followers. Obviously that wasn't overnight. You said you were posting for 10 plus years. Uh, and I'm sure some of that was personal. Some of that was business related, but how did that really start? Was there a certain day where you kind of just found, Hey, this is the type of post that works. And, and how did you continue to replicate that? Yeah, it was funny. I, it was actually a, a day. Um, like you said, I was posting, you know, I had the DJ career and I was kind of over it, but I still loved posting on social media just as a creative outlet. And a friend calls me 
And he goes, you know, we had kind of, this was June of 2020. So we had a lot of free time because of the pandemic. Like, like our phones did not ring. I don't know if your phone was ringing. My phone was not ringing. <laughs> no, it was, it was tough. It was a yeah quiet time. And a friend called me and he said, why aren't you posting about your work on TikTok? We knew TikTok was going to be something. And it was that race to literally a million. We set that, my friend set that goal. I set that goal. And he said, you need to talk about what you do for work. Uh, nobody talks about it and you have no competition. And I jumped on, I knew he was right. And I jumped on and just started making value add content that uh, served the viewer instead of myself. I think oftentimes people focus on content that is self-serving, makes them feel good, you know, bikini pick on the Amalfi Coast. And while some people will enjoy that, um, when you're consuming content online, the average human is inherently selfish. It's very normal. It's me, it's you, it's ev literally everybody. So creating content that plays into that human innate reaction of content, which says, how does this benefit me? Creating that type of content where people realize that you can bring them value um, was how it, it struck me to grow that following. Now it took time, right? I, I've seen so many people, um, you know, make four posts and quit because the expectation is post, post, and then you're famous. Reality is different, right? And I posted, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pieces of, of content because I had to learn, you know, it was a learning curve what commercial real estate content online is going to work. Um, you know, I got handed, you know, I got my butt handed to me by the internet a couple of times, you know, that's all part of it. It's all part of putting yourself out there, but you just have to test tweak and then do it again. <laughs> I love it. And it's funny you say that. Cause the other day I actually played around with, uh, creating a post that would, strike a few chords for people and it wasn't meant to be intentional for like actually sharing really good content or anything like that but i wanted to see if there was something that could poke the bear so to speak and really just create more traction see if people would be interested want to share their own opinions and one i, I completely succeeded the post went viral really quick and the the test was actually because the post right before i shared something extremely valuable and it was, um, it got like three likes, one comment. And the, the post right after that, it got over, it was on LinkedIn. It got like 200 comments from people who were sharing their opinion. It got close to a hundred likes and there was a lot of anger, there were a lot of emotions. And <laughs> it was really funny just showing the difference between providing value and people don't care sometimes and providing something that might, it, it gently poked some poked and prodded and um, people had a lot to share about it. So finding that balance of, you know, finding virality, but, but really helping people providing information, it, it's really tough to do. And you know what, 
it's like you said, you upset people. Um, you will do that, right? Like when you put yourself out there and you test at scale in public, just like anything in life, you will not, uh, you will fail. Not, and I'm not saying that was a failure, but you could piss people off. Oh yeah. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing to your point, because the reality is these social media platforms want one thing. I, you know, I've watched all the algorithm videos I've posted 40 million times. They all want one thing. And that is to keep the person on the other side of the screen there as long as physically possible. So the reason why your LinkedIn post works so well, is because you were keeping people there, people reading, people engaging, people being emotional. And that is the secret to virality and success on any social media platform. Uh, so kudos to you because it sounds like you're, you're look, the reality is, is it takes that testing and it takes that strategy and, uh, you have to love that because it's not glamorous and, but it's fun and it's a really, really effective way to grow your business. And, uh, what else would we do all day? Right. Well, I know you got really big on both, you know, TikTok, Instagram, and we actually connected through LinkedIn. So, I mean, that's how we met. Um, but I wanted to touch base with you and kind of see what you would advise for other people in your space, um, maybe a different industry who are listening to this. How could they kind of duplicate some of your success, maybe bypass the first 100,000 posts that didn't go too well that you did and your, your trial and error? Uh, phases. And so you can maybe push them along so they can succeed as well. Sure. Fastest way to streamline success on social media online, head over to YouTube university, Google. Okay. It's February, February, 2024, Instagram algorithm, February, 2024, TikTok algorithm, learn the algorithms. I just gave you the spark notes, which is, you just got to keep there people there as long as possible. Um, another thing, the first three seconds of your post, be it on LinkedIn, be it on TikTok, be it on Twitter, be it on Facebook. The first three seconds of the post are the most important. You have to hook people in. You have to keep them there. Um, if your first three seconds aren't good, it doesn't matter what the rest of your video looks like. So the first three seconds are the most crucial and there is a lot to learn on YouTube in a, sh you can learn in 10 minutes about an algorithm and, uh, uh, navigate accordingly. So how did social media kind of affect your business? Right. I mean, obviously the, having a bunch of followers probably helps people think of warehousing. They reach out to you immediately, or I, I assume so. I'm sure you've probably gotten a couple of people where that's happened, but in what ways, maybe other than that, has it affected your business? Sure. Um, you know, in real estate, it's a very much who you know, who knows you. They used to say you want to become the mayor of your town. And the way real estate agents used to become the mayor of their town was their uh, face would be on a shopping cart at the mall or on a bus stop. Well, spoiler alert, nobody stares at those anymore. They're staring at their phone. And so uh, by deploying the becoming a mayor of your town where the attention is, um, 
my focus is to become the warehouse woman of Denver, Colorado, the U.S. Um, in the long-term play that you're right. If somebody needs a warehouse in this town, they go, oh yeah, there's that warehouse girl on the internet. And then they navigate to me. Um, I've definitely seen leads that way in the business. It's 100% a long game. It's another, another thing where people think post post, and then you go party on all your deals. Um, it's not, that's not reality, but it's the long game. And if you want to work in the real estate business, you got to be in it for the long game anyway. So definitely. Uh, yeah. It's like going to the gym, just do your reps. Exactly. Well, I know right now there's a lot of people who are in the commercial real estate space. I actually, uh, just last week I posted a podcast episode with Justin Ryder. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he is, uh, he's awesome. We talked a little bit about the right now with making cold calls, there was uh, some guy he was talking about, he was a veteran and he made like over a thousand phone calls in one month. And he was like, well, that's a phenomenal number. It's, it's ridiculous. I've never even gotten close. There's a lot of people who make, you know, tons of phone calls. And I think that that's more of a traditional sort of way of doing things. And so I think maybe with social media, you're able to have those same types of converse conversations, those cold outreach, uh, capabilities by just making one post. And now you have a couple thousand people seeing your posts and you couldn't reach that before. And so I think that's really cool. I don't know what your thoughts are on that though. I'd love to hear them. Scary, scary, effective. I haven't made a cold call in over five years and year over year, we have better business years. Uh, specifically last year when a lot of brokers struggled, it was our all time best year. So yes, um, the, the strategy in this social net of online is cast out the umbrella of content and they come to you as opposed to smiling and dialing, ripping the lines, because ultimately I hate when people call me, I hate when people call me and try to sell things. I don't like to do that to other people. And I'm just finding the internet is really abundant when it comes to lead generation and people in commercial real estate have just been really hesitant or too cheap or too uncreative to figure that out. And it's scary, scary effective. So <clears throat> I wish I liked cold calling, <laughs> but I like when people call me more. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I always do like to ask, I know a lot of people in the commercial real estate space, they talk about having certain mentors who have really helped push them. And so I want to touch base with you on some mentors earlier. You mentioned that your father, some of your family is kind of in the business for a long time. And they, you know, you talked about it at dinner, they showed you the ropes, but was there anybody else? Maybe, maybe it was just your family or, or outside of that. Okay. Well, this is pretty cheesy, but I found an online mentor who, okay. I love Gary Vaynerchuk, all time favorite human ever. And by listening to his content, which is pretty much my playbook of my business and my social media strategy, he has become my mentor. Now, the funny thing is, is he's not actually my mentor. Like he doesn't know who I am, but I made 
him my men he he I made him my mentor. So that's another thing about the internet is like you don't have to have consent, like mentorship consent. If you're willing to stick, you know, if you're committed to someone and stick and listen to their content, they can be a mentor. So uh, like I said, my playbook is years and years and years of Gary content. And I attribute all of my success to him be because of his mentorship that he doesn't know exists. I love it. And and he's big on it's jab, jab, right hook, right? Yeah. I think that goes and ties along really well with what you do with social media. It's like, that was the intention. Yeah. So Gary's nice. jab, 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 right hook is give, 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 ask. And so it's provide value, provide value, provide value. And then, you know, assuming you understand when to strike, when the time is right, hit it. So it works. It. Buy that book. Great book. Nice. Okay. I will, uh, I actually haven't read it. I'll, I'll check it out, but uh, I did want to ask one other thing uh, as we start to wrap up here. Usually something I ask everybody that does come on this podcast is what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Yeah. Why do I do what I do? That's a great question. One, my family came to America, um, the real estate part of my family in 1950, more than 75% of their family was murdered in Nazi Germany, came to America with nothing, created a small, humble real estate empire that we still, we still hold all the properties to this day, but we're the true immigrant uh, American dream. And so one, I won't let, I am very passionate about pushing their legacy forward. I have this building right here. This is the first warehouse my grandfather ever uh, bought. I lease and manage the building to this day. And although I never met my grandfather, I have this connection with him um, because we walk the steps of the same warehouse and we make money on the same property. And it's an amazing legacy play that I plan to force my kids to do. <laughs> Just kidding. Not really. <laughs> so legacy. And then two, my other why is helping people who did not have the fortune that I did of growing up with the knowledge that I was raised with. Um, like I said, the internet is leveling the playing fields and opening the floodgates. And there is so much opportunity in commercial real estate. I am ecstatic about sharing that with people who want to work hard enough to achieve that for themselves because anybody can do it regardless of how much money they have, who they know. It's about how hard you want to work and uh, literally anybody can do it. So. Well, perfect. Well, Aviva, I really appreciate your time and you coming on here, sharing some of the secrets about warehousing with us and a little bit more about your story and the, the, factors that go behind all of the social media planning. And so as we start to wrap up here, what is the best way for people who want to reach out to you to get in touch with you? Yeah. A couple ways you can DM me on any social media platform at Aviva, A-V-I-V-A, real estate. Go to any podcast streaming services and listen to my podcast, Commercial Real Estate Secrets. And if you want to check out the brokerage, warehousehotline.com. Perfect. Well, thanks so much again for, uh, for coming on. I've had a blast and uh, maybe down the road, we'll have to do it again. 
Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate you. Keep crushing them on LinkedIn and I'll see you very soon.